Um, so anyone we can introduce you to, um, that's what we're here for. We, we, like I said, Ann, we still don't know why we do this. <laughs> Have some fun today. Ready? Ann, you ready? Uh, just clicking. Yep. Yes, sir. Perfect. Hey, don't, we're, we're not that serious on this show. Well, that's, Ty, that's a Texan thing. <laughs> <laughs> it yes, is a Texan thing. Time out, Tyler. Who are we <laughs> taking the time out with today? Time out, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we have a spe very special guest for y'all today. We have Ann Banks, the president of Debt Blue. And thank you for being on the show. And I'm going to hit you up real quick. First okay. question is about food, all right? I always go for food. Okay. okay, so you're from the Chicago area. Now you're in Texas. Pretty good culinary in both. What What do you like more, Chicago or Texas? What, what are we going with with food? The barbecue uh, or the deep dish? Uh, well, I haven't been in Texas that long. So um, I still have a yearning for home food from the Quad Cities, which is west of uh, Chicago. So I love Harris pizza and Whitey's ice cream and Jim's ribs and um Alcapoco, good mexican food there mm. so quad cities has great food that sounds like uh, great food. yeah love right. it and, and i've been asking this question lately to, to our ceos and our presidents okay so you're on the high dive right are you more of a cannonball oh. or a, a swan dive or a belly flop kind of person right off the Ooh. high dive into a pool and I don't have the choice of coming off of the high dive and going back down. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I've got to jump. Yeah. It's going to be all day cannonball. Cause all guys, right. Love that. Me. I was like, I do not want to break my neck. No. I'm just <laughs> yeah, flop, belly flop baby. from the high dive. I don't know how. Yeah. Don't, yeah you that, might lose your lunch after that. It's an ER visit. All right. So baseball just started what last week, and uh, we always see the great entry of uh, some Mo Rivera back in the day, the closer, right? So we're bringing in closer Ann, and they're calling out to the bullpen. They're saying, "Ann, we're ready for you to enter the game. We're in the ninth inning. We're up by a run, and we got runners on second and third. What song are you coming out to from that dugout?" The song that I'm coming out. Um, I'm going to go with. <laughs> So lonely by the police. All right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd be feeling it like, ah. Yep, that will get the crowd amped well, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, confident that you can close out that game, I think. Yeah, I don't know. When you said baseball, I'm like, oh, man, bad sport for me. Because yeah. usually I go to a game and it was the Cubs when they were not even winning. <laughs> and went to those games to get some sun, drink some beers. Yeah. Lose track of any it was, you know, because you know. Uh, so I the like, game uh -oh. didn't really matter. You already know who you knew the Cubs weren't winning, so you didn't really have to pay attention. Yeah, to I didn't have yeah. to pay attention. It was a good time. Wrigley Field's a good time. So <laughs> bleach your seats with some old styles, right? Yeah, exactly. You've been there. there you oh yeah, yeah. And, and, and say we're say we're in Wrigleyville this afternoon after the Cubs yeah. win, lose, whatever. Doesn't matter, right? We got our dogs in our old styles. Right. Uh, you know, you're taking us to a local pub around. If you could have three people meet us there, dead or alive, who are they? Oh, wow. Okay, so we're in. We're, <laughs> okay, it'd be fun to hang out with Michael Jordan in Chicago. Woo! That'd yeah. be fun. Um, Walter Payton. Love Walter Payton. Oh, sweetness. All right. Yes, yep. Um, and then uh, who else would be fun to hang out with in Chicago? Um, 
I, I you know, I'll probably take my brother because I think he'd enjoy it. <laughs> Sweetness, MJ, and your brother. Love yeah, it, man. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. want to play you in basketball or any other sport for that matter. I don't no. know what your brother's athletic ability are, but those no. two scare me a little bit. <laughs> well, they would my brother would be helpful with the stats. All right, like, that I, works. I appreciate both their um, athleticisms and their careers, but I could not tell you how many games they won. <laughs> I embarrass myself. I'd, oh, no. uh, but it'd be, be cool to hang out with those guys. All right, so we're walking through O'Hare Airport now that we're done. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we're, we're, done with, we're done with the baseball game. We just <laughs> shook hands with Michael Jordan, Walter Payton, and your brother, and shared a beer. Uh huh. What sign? would you have in that airport that people are going to walk by every single day and get motivated before they step onto a plane? What's your, what, what, what would you put on a billboard that somebody's going to see every day? Oh, okay. So at O'Hare, I would say, even if you're laid over, if you're stranded at this airport, do not give up hope. Make the best of every day. <laughs> oh, amazing. oh, that's great. That's and great. you're incredible, and you are natural at this. This is this is this is amazing. Yeah. And, well, and, can you tell I've been stranded no hair? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A time or two, maybe it didn't sound yeah, like, like one time. No. no. Don't give I'll, up. I always we will get out that, of here. Chill is what I always find for some reason I oh, run really? the same chilies every time I feel like but uh <laughs> yeah and, and I, we'd like to kind of dive in um, um to your to your career a little bit your journey okay. Okay. you know um you you have all the accolades that one could ever want you know from your education to your experience um you know you're now the president of a company which is a, a fantastic amazing we can't wait, wait to hear more about that but who was Ann before college How, uh -oh. I mean because you're a president now Right. You would have had to have gotten some traits, I would have think, or some experiences to have this resiliency about you, if I had to guess, or this uh, this competitor. Holy smokes. I can't imagine what kind of competitor you are just by knowing you for a few months. Who was Ann Banks before college? Uh, Ann Banks was a uh, youngest of four, uh, raised by a, a mom that my dad died when I was very young, when I was two. And no one had gone to college before, you know, a four-year university. So it wasn't in my sights. I was, I was, anyone that went to high school with me would be probably like, wow. <laughs> Same here. She's Same alive. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and college, bringing those people too. Yeah. Full yeah. yeah. Like it was, uh, had a lot of fun in high school. <laughs> um, remember most of it. Uh, so yeah, I, I was not one of those. I mean, I took advanced placement classes because my friends were in there, but then I got out, I got out of those classes because I'm like, why would you want to work that hard when you're mm -hmm. 16, 17 years old? Like there are more fun things to do, like go to all the football games, basketball games and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, before I went to college, I wasn't driven by academics. I love to learn and I like to figure things out, but, um, I really enjoyed life more than mm. um, being academically driven or professionally driven. So that's who I was before I went to college. Wow. Wow. Um, I kind of wanted to, uh, to, I guess, continue on and, and to talk about the first degree that you acquired <laughs> was, mm -hmm. uh, was education, right? And, and yes. it looked like you were a principal and a teacher. And um, I think just like a lot of the front 
frontline employees during the pandemic, I think we started to realize how critical um, the wellness and the safety and, and the success of teachers um, within our school districts in order to obviously have children that are learning in that same environment to, to be successful later in life and, and, and con contributing to this kind of new world that we're all exploring together. And, and it is different, uh, I, I admit, than from what I'm, I'm even used to. Tyler was sharing just yesterday that he says the word hybrid and people are like, what is that? Um, so, so quickly have we already adapted and we've changed. What did you learn from teaching though that helps you to become a better leader? Because I think some of the best leaders have taught me some of the greatest lessons that I know today. So what I learned from teaching, um, one, be prepared uh, because the, um, to know your craft, to practice your craft, know the content and, and never use, never lose humility because the best mm -hmm. teachers recognize that when someone comes into the classroom, they should naturally be ignorant. That's why they're there. You're there to help them. Uh, so don't talk down to people, meet yeah. them where they are and then use every uh, wit about you to make the connection so that people can get it. Because teaching isn't about impressing people with how smart you are when you're in front of the room. That's easy to do. That's called a presentation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know uh, teaching is about paying attention to people and reading their, um, their facial expressions and taking time to get to know where they are and then figuring out how to get there. So if it's an analogy with sports, if it's about um, mechanics, if it's about uh, poetry or imagery, anything to make that connection because getting those building blocks are so important to you know, helping someone get from point A to point B and moving them along. And this, it, the same things in leadership. Yeah. It's like just meeting people where they are and seeing where they want to be, not where I want them to be. Yeah. Um, and then figuring out a way to get them there. Yeah. I think showing, I think that's what we really learned is like showing is better than telling today, especially. And that's kind of uh, something that you've learned obviously from, from working in the schools and it, the preparation I love. Um, I, I, but what I heard is we just like, we can't pick our family as the saying goes, you also can't pick your pupils. So you no, really have no. to meet in each individual student where they are yeah. and understand where that individual is in order to build that connection and help them grow. But really what I heard you say is you need to change their perspective first, but they have to be willing to change their perspective. In yeah, order yep, yep. So yeah, that willingness I, is key. That is, that is, and, but one thing that we know in businesses, which traditionally is where most businesses lose money or fail to see a return on investment, it comes down to communication. Mm -hmm. How do you communicate effectively from the top line to the frontline employee? Because I think you probably learned something being a principal as well as an, an English teacher, how to find a common language so everybody can get behind the common mission, vision, and values that is set up by the organization. First, I listen. I did that as a teacher, as a principal. You know, I because um, I would start my my English classes, the first 10 minutes was with journaling, um, wow. because a lot of, you know, most students, especially when they're in high school, uh, they're not going to share how they really feel with everyone. It's too much is at stake. Mm -hmm. So a safe place for them to start expressing themselves and start practicing the writing skills, because it, that's that's a skill. 
um, that has to be practiced a lot. So, um, and then I read them, respond to them so they felt heard, valued, seen, and not part of the masses. And the same applies with, you know, any, the leadership position is come into a position and listening first, making myself available, just going and hanging out with people, see what their job's like. Uh, that's what I did at DebtBlue too, is like, just see what their job's like, what, what they're up against, what the obstacles are, what needs to be removed from them so they can feel better about life and what they do. Um, so do that first. And then I think the common language that I've always used is humor. Like I'll make fun of myself. I'll, I'll you know, test out the audience to see what kind of humor they can handle from me. Um, and, uh, but if people know that I'm, you know, that I, I'm willing to laugh and I'm not judging them and they are safe, they can ask questions. That takes root really quickly. You know, when people really get that that's genuine, then I man, they they tell me everything. You know, and I then I can build. I love the bingo. Yeah. Kevin used to ask me that all the time. I'd be like, Kevin, I just tell him what I stink at, man. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and then all of a sudden, this like guard comes down. Yeah. And yeah. I don't care. They don't care. Then, uh -huh. then some real words are exchanged. It's pretty organic and genuine after after. Yeah. 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 And. and uh, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm on board. I no wonder we play so well. Like, this is amazing. It's just so fun to hear someone of your stature say something along those lines. And, yeah. and Rook, do you think your um, approach in high school has helped you out now? Because I know some people like were like high school all-stars and like just floored it like in high school and then college came and it was like, holy crap. And there's college. So do you think, because Kevin and I are new dads is why I'm kind of asking oh, okay. this. Um, um, you know, and, and the way I was raised, it was like all state basketball, football, baseball, all that stuff, you know, GPA way up there. Then college came. It was like, what? it was just, it was, it didn't work out. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, and in your experience, do you feel that you understanding living, taking that time to live and have fun in high school rather than being in every AP class instead of making 4.2 GPAs and, every all that do you think that helped you accelerate more later in life yeah I think so I mean I there's a balance there I mean for my own children I wouldn't want them to take the same path that I did um <laughs> of course uh, right. yeah right. what you say as a parent right yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the balance of it though when um my daughter was really getting over um upset and stressed out about gpa I'm like just get a b get over it like no one is going to define you by some b in physics because if you set yourself up to have your own personal value based on how someone grades you you're set up for misery the rest of your life you know you have to you have to figure out what's important to you and um the the good part about me you know, having a lot of fun when I was younger. It's like, yeah, some of it got out of my system. Uh, the other part, I became really good at it. So I, I so that's good. Um, but also the humility, like I, I can't, I don't look back and go and, and, you know, ever since I was 12, I had it all figured out. Yeah. Nope. I screwed up left and right. <laughs> I get it. Um, high school students that were making mistakes, they could see by the, my expression that I wasn't um, looking down on them, be like, okay, you, you know, knock it off. Um, 
because consequences are greater now than they were back in the 80s. Um, but uh, there wasn't a I'm better than you type thing. And um, so, yeah, I think it did help because it did it did forge my humility, um, but also my sense of fun. And then that balance, because even now, I mean, as a president of a company, I if I start taking everything way too seriously, I can fall back into a, that. I can fall into a trap of um, losing that joy for life. Yeah. I, you know? I wanted to go back to what you said about humor, because I think laughter brings people together. It lets people's guard come down. It finds that common ground and allows you to then listen and they'll listen to what you have to say. And it's yeah. some of the greatest secrets of uh, some of the best storytellers. I think if, if you go back and some of the best stories that you remember, they include laughter. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, because you kind of talked about children and Tyler and I having children every day is a blessing that I get to see my son. But my, I find that my 21 month old son is teaching me more lessons than I have learned in the professional world. And, mm -hmm. and really, it's all about that quintessential being of what life is truly about. And it is sometimes quieting things down and giving us ourselves the time to really reflect or journal, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But one of the things you said that scares me, because I do think it is the forces of society and, 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 and culture, is that he won't feel comfortable to share in those environments for fear of judgment or fear of how others are going to receive that information. And I'm scared mm -hmm. that he will learn that at such a young age. Mm -hmm. How did you get yourself comfortable with being vulnerable? Because I think sharing your emotions being open is not something customary to being in a CEO position or a president position, especially a female where you are trained to almost separate your emotions from your decision-making. Now we're trying to teach men to be more emotionally intelligent, which comes inherently to females. Mm -hmm. so how did you get yourself comfortable to be vulnerable, to let that guard down, to not take everything so seriously and really genuinely connect? because you have probably had to get yourself over that fear factor as well. People were watching me. I think that's how I got over it. Um, students were watching me. Wow. And um, that, so before I had my own children, I had a lot of practice with uh, coming to terms with my own ignorance. Because when, you know, after I graduated and I, had my, I got my first teaching job, I, there was so much I didn't know. I was 22 years old. You know, I was like, there's so much I didn't know. Uh, the pressure though, especially you know, I'm shorter, I'm smaller. Um, I tend to look younger than I am. So when I was 22, I looked like one of the high school kids. Like I, I got questions. I asked for a pass in the hall, you know, like, you know, to, <laughs> so by security. So, um, I, when I went in, I went in with a, um, uh, defense and that pretense of, I, you know, I, I have to act like I know everything and it was so stressful and it was so not true. Um, and so it created a barrier between me and the students, because if I have to act that way, they have to act that way. And then what kind of genuine learning goes on if everyone's pretending to know more than they actually know. Right. Wow. Yes. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So I, got, I got comfortable with, I don't know, I'll get back to you. Um, 
laughing at myself when I mispronounced uh, students' names uh, and just asking them, how do you pronounce that name? Instead of trying to be like, oh, I know how to pronounce everyone's name. Like, I <laughs> no, I don't. Um, and uh, vocabulary and literature. I mean, British literature is loaded with wonderful vocabulary that as a 22, 23 year old American, I never used, you know, so admitting that I, yeah, I'm going to, you know, practice pronouncing words in front of students, making fun of myself when I got it wrong, um, being open about uh, how when I went to college, I always tell, I tell the story about I had a vocabulary building class in high school and it was a new teacher and she left the answer key in the back of our vocabulary building book, right? Well, any red-blooded American student isn't going to tear it out and give it to her and say, oh, you made a mistake. You left this in there. It's like, no, all right. Got an A in vocabulary building. <laughs> easy A, easy, easy A. Easy A, right? But then the price of when something comes too easily, when I went off to college and the professors are speaking naturally in their academic tongue, and I'm like, what? <laughs> What's that word? I bet that was in that vocabulary book. <laughs> um, and it, admitting that to uh, my students and then also telling them once I owned my own ignorance, then I was empowered to do something. Wow. You know? Wow. So, then I was then I was on a mission like okay my vocabulary needs improvement so when I read I started circling the words that I didn't know I still do it I if I can't define it or use it I'll circle it and then look it up and determine if it's a word I want to add to my vocabulary but I modeled all that for students so that they would let me in yeah you know so then it was powerful owned my own ignorance, which was the most empowering moment. I think that self-discovery is kind of what Tyler and I hear is one of the common themes from all the great leaders that we've had on the show is they know themselves the most mm -hmm. um, and they're comfortable and confident with who they are, but they're also open to change based off of new information and continuously learn and, and challenge themselves. Um, I wanted to go back to something that you said that I, when we act, it's impossible, right, to, to really build that connection because everybody's lying to themselves and, and to others. Mm -hmm. um, when did you feel like you found your direction? Because I, I commonly say that coming out of college, I felt like I had no direction, right? So I say I was directionless and I would take directions from everybody because of it. And I think you're touching on that as well as like, the less you know, the more you'll let others determine and define your goals and your dreams for you. And then you realize that you're actually living somebody else's dream in life mm -hmm. and your own. When did you, I guess, find the direction? I found it when I was in Dr. Tweet's English class at, at Augustana. Um, great, great professor. Um, and what I really enjoyed about that whole experience is when he came to class and um, there, well, there wasn't the textbook, the questions at the end of a chapter, you know, it was about thinking, you know, and it was about enjoying language. And, um, uh, and he, when I wrote in his class and I got it, the uh, papers back, it wasn't just about commas and periods and semicolons, whatever. 
he commented on my thoughts, on my insight, on my, you know, the, that, um, that it was authentic. I remember that when I saved that paper, that it was authentic, I'm like, all right, cool. Being me is okay. Um, then he asked me to teach one of his classes, um, because he, um, thought I told him I was interested in going into teaching English. I'm like, if this is what English was like in high school. I'd have been digging it like this. Yeah. That wouldn't have been laborious. It yeah. would have been cool. I would have enjoyed it. So he asked me to teach a lesson to one of his, um, upper level English classes on, um, I didn't know what it was. I mean, it was, uh, poetry or some author or whatever. And I got in front of the class of people who were my peer led the discussion and taught, sat on the corner of the desk and just felt like, oh, this is home. This, <laughs> this is where, cause I enjoyed the, um, thinking on my feet. Yeah. So when they asked questions that I, I didn't have prepared prepared question they say this it wasn't scripted so when they asked questions and then they brought up um different points of view that i genuinely thought were interesting and then we had a discussion on it i was like okay that is just fun i mean time flew by mm -hmm. and like yep this is exactly what i want to do i i want to be i want to be in front of a room and i want to be guiding and teaching and contributing that way I just want to keep saying me too. This is awesome. I know, dude. Me, I'm like, like, holy shit. Yeah. I even have GRE flashcards right here of vocabulary words by my desk and yeah, because yeah, I cheated also. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every Cliff Notes book was owned by Tyler and I. Yeah, yeah. yeah man. Yeah. Do uh for that get the um I think it's Word Power Made Easy. It go it, it's a good book that gives you the background on the uh, Latin and Greek roots. Um, if so, if you really want to get a um, that's one of the first books I bought for vocab building, and it helped out a lot because it dissects the word. Our, you know, the language we use is all borrowed. So mm -hmm. it Greek, Latin, German, and once that system is you can start figuring out what words mean just based on the Greek and Latin roots. So that's how I taught it at the schools too. That it, very helpful. My old Word English teaching baby. mother tried to get me to uh, to understand it. It was gibberish to me, but yes, I, she yeah. always stressed yeah. the importance of understanding Latin. So <laughs> yes. it is. It's, it, yeah, once you're like, oh, clever. All right, I get it. <laughs> Right on. And well, hey, let's dive deep about you being a president, a female yeah. president in Dallas, Texas at JetBlue. Yes. How about that? So tell us, when did you know you were going to be a president of a company? When the CEO asked me. <laughs> and, and, okay. And, and who? That, who did, that was my first clue. That was your first clue. Um, and who, who did you, who was the first person you told when you got the opportunity, the, the offer to be a president? Oh, my husband just, just dialed him up and said holy smokes i'm about to be a president no, I, I, of the waited, I waited till i got home i, I was <laughs> like you won't i gotta tell you about this like i this is what this is the conversation we had today like wow. like let's what's this all mean so um yeah that's cool. awesome so can you kind of give us the, the the journey there like like when, when did you kind of start building that foundation because i i, I 
other than starting my own company, I would have not, have not have any clue how to start treading my way towards a president level uh, position. How, how, did, what, how did you build the foundation to get to where you are, I guess? Yeah, it's just next steps, you know, like I always, um, even when I, when I was going to go to college, I didn't know I was going to go to college. I, I assumed I wasn't. And it was um, someone saying to me, you know, you really should go to college. I'm like, oh, really? You think? Okay. Um, and then making that next step, like, okay, well, there's one down the street. Maybe I'll go to that one. You know, like I, that the um, not having a grand plan and just being open to opportunity has really, um, that and a lot of prayers have, have really been, it's paid off because it wasn't my intention to become the president of the company. I was just open to it. So the journey began when I applied for this job at DebtBlue um, for the position of director of continuous learning. And it was my way of getting out of education. So had already left K through 12, was at the college level, um, and to be in Texas and do something different with the rest of my career. So I thought, okay, corporate. So started applying for jobs in the corporate world. And this job was open. Um, my favorite color is blue. So I thought, okay, maybe that means something. Um, I loved the job description. I checked it off. Like, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. Okay. All right. Then I checked um, where it was. I was like, ooh, that seems kind of far. I don't really like to drive. So um, didn't apply for it right away. But then like, okay, I'm going to, you know, we'll see if they call me. They called me, get a second interview, get this job as director of continuous learning. And the CEO, Corey Butcher, um, it, you know, it's his company. And what he noticed right away is the difference in the, the culture and productivity with someone there focusing on growth of the individuals mm. and the power of education. And then he talked about that, that how much my involvement in that capacity moved the needle for the company, like it significant movement forward. Um, so I agreed with him to take on more responsibility and became the director of organizational effectiveness, um, a title that I came up with um, that, you know, IT was like too long, you know, like <laughs> I can't fit on anything. Um, but with the, and then that's when he and I started talking about, you know, a secession plan to be the president of the, the company because of the, um, the rapport that was built as I came in and listened to people, checked out, you know, assessed their obstacles, set them up for success, um, had very candid conversations about um, leadership gaps because I could see it. And uh, I think he appreciated the, my willingness to be honest with them and tell them what I thought. And um, I had a, a, an employee from the college in Illinois gave me for Christmas a little plaque that says, get shit done. And because <laughs> I, I just get shit done. Like, I, and if people just stay out of my, give me, give me good information and give me cooperation. Mm -hmm we can get it done. Yeah. Um, and empowerment, right? It does. Yeah. It yeah. The level of empowerment right. at, at yeah. That point let let me do it. Let me 
give me the, you know, empower them, empower me, um, put all those pieces in the right place. And then we can really get things done quickly. Yeah. Uh, so because That's you're focused on removing those obstacles and those barriers standing in the way of their definitions of success. And it's because you're listening mm -hmm. to what their challenges actually are and trusting those closest to the problem within the organization probably have the best insights to share on how to resolve it or make it better mm -hmm. or more efficient mm -hmm. or innovate. Um, you're you're mm -hmm. talking about a lot of things that uh, Tyler will say, right on, and me too, right? Because this is literally how I talk all day. Um, so it's fascinating. Uh, <laughs> actually connect with somebody that already sees it very similarly, but it sounds like the, the individual Corey mm -hmm. um, probably had to go on a journey himself um, because that was not always the traditional view of human capital or people. Um, mm -hmm. They're said to be a company's greatest asset, but yet they're the last to be invested in. Um, so that, that employee experience equals customer experience, as you mm -hmm. vividly have shared, and you showed how performance increased when you started to focus more on the inputs rather than the outputs. Mm -hmm. um, how did you get Corey to start to see it that way? Um, did it require some financial analysis, the return on investment, the before and after? How did you start to get him to see that the individual's well-being was far greater to the business and more important than what was previously realized. I really can't take credit for that because he's a smart dude. He, he, he saw it in the outputs. He's a numbers guy, which is great because I like numbers too. I love, you know, I, I took stats for a, an elective in grad school. So I, I, I enjoy You're that. Sick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it's, it's um, but uh, so uh, I, I understand the the analysis of numbers but the wonderful thing about taking so many stats classes and research classes is understanding that numbers can lie they can they can misrepresent reality so um that is the nice play between the two of us is that he gets that um it's my responsibility to make sure that he has enough data presented in front of him so that he we can see a similar picture because as i talk to you know team members employees about their experience that if their story doesn't match up with the numbers i can't you know that it's got it has to tell the same story mm -hmm. so um he saw that the um the numbers that he was looking at was they were getting better that mm -hmm. you know the the new accounts went up the retention in um, our client services was stabilized. The, you know, like things started to click more and then it was, yep, we were really onto something. It also helps that his wife is a teacher. So <laughs> and it really does, you know, cause when yeah. people are personally involved with someone who is in education, they can see the sacrifices, the thought, the, all of it that goes along with it. Um, so that appreciation definitely helped. Oh, definitely. And, and what I, I love that, uh, yes, numbers can lie and misrepresent reality. And there's more to the picture, which requires both the qualitative and the quantitative analysis, yeah. because you're, mm -hmm. you're pretty much playing undercover boss, right? For lack of a better story, you're going and having those direct conversations with the front line. It doesn't take ABC mm -hmm. to be on campus for you to go sit down with a frontline employee, you know, and really mm -hmm. see how their day is going and how they got to work that day and where are they going after? Um, 
but it's it's amazing to hear that you guys have really done it um, and and really focused and really seen the performance increase, just like I'm trying to convince businesses every single day that <laughs> the world has changed. Um, we're evolving and, and you too need to evolve with it. Um, one of the things that I love is that you don't really come from a traditional business background. And it reminds me of a story that I was just reading the other day and I'm sharing with Tyler the CEO of Whole Foods said that I'm so glad I never got those certifications and went to business school and got my MBA because I didn't have to unlearn anything is what he said. (laughs) I got to build the business the way that I wanted to build the business. And I thought it was best because I was having conversations with everybody and picked and choose what mattered most and where, how I wanted people to feel not only my employees, but my customers. Now Whole Foods went through a devastating flood and their customers and their employees came to fix uh, fix the the down in Texas, mm-hmm. fix the store. And that is where he realized that my customers are more involved in my culture than I ever realized. Mm-hmm. So how have you real how how do you help inspire that frontline employee to show that their contributions are bigger than how what they can even see themselves in the day to day? What? <clears throat> Because I, it sounds like you're doing it intuitively, subconsciously. Yeah, so I think that's why there's a little hesitation. How am I doing that? <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, uh, I keep the communication going. I mean, I, there's a um, keep track of if they if when team members have individual goals, uh, like if so, circle back and ask them. I still respond on teams. It doesn't matter what someone's rank is in the organization. They send me a teams and just had one yesterday. When you get back in the office, can, can I talk to you? Yes. Um, mentor uh, several of the employees. So I, I stay in touch that way. And it helps too that in our office, our, our floor, my office is all glass. So I can't hide. Can't pick your nose. Well, I can today, so I'm home. <laughs> but um, so I'm. I, I remain and much like um, you know, Corey does the same thing. Accessible, like walk around and be accessible, and still keep that that listening happening. Um, mm-hmm. Because just because you listen one day doesn't mean that you know it, it's not a one and done. Mm-hmm. It, it, to stay in tune, you can keep the ears open. Um, and keep learning because I, I I learn a lot from listening to what other people go through. And then, you know, follow through with things. It's, I mean, I tell you what I t- told my son this. If you go into your career and you simply just follow through, you're going to be way ahead of so many other people. <laughs> just follow Seems through. Seems like a low bar. Seems like a low bar. I know, but is it true? Like, just it is so true. Oh, Commitments, man. Yeah. So we did a employee survey and asked the, asked the team what, you know, um, you know, what's working, what's not working, what do you need, you know, whatever. So um, one of the, the top answer that came up was an ice machine because in the break room, the refrigerators run out of ice really early in the day. Right. So what is that? Simple as that. Second was training, more training, which is great music to my ears. So um, we announced at our kickoff, we have a monthly kickoff that 
we'd be getting an ice machine. Well, the, the, you know, the CFO laughed and like, what, where are you, what, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> we're, we're buying what? I'm sure you like that more than like a five to 7% compensation increase. So yeah, I'm sure yeah, the ice machine yeah. is a flash in the pan compared to that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So we did it. It's installed and p- there, thank you. Thank you. Like it's that, you know, like that was just a follow through of something that if we sat in a conference room and talked about what the team really needed, it would not have been an ice machine Mm-mm. that took just listening mm-hmm. and the mileage that we'll get off of an ice machine is, is phenomenal when you think about it, you know, like that's people just, they want to know that they're, they're valued. So I'm not I, sure if I can answer your question. No, that, that, definitely. <laughs> and I'd like to, if I can dive a little bit deeper with you is that it, there is a difference between listening and hearing and hearing is closing that listening loop that you talked about by telling them, Hey, we heard what you said. We value your insights and we put a new ice machine. They do things because they think the employees are asking for it, but then they fail to close that communication gap back to the employee to tell them this is directly from what you shared with us. Mm-hmm. So even if the waste baskets or the ice machine that they asked for magically enters into it, they've, we've missed the whole opportunity to showcase how we came to that decision. And that's the most empowering moment of all. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, so hearing and seeing and, and value and, and, and listening are all very different, but I think in language, we all have different terms for things. You talked about being vulnerable and we talk about today, 75% of those in leadership and management positions struggle with mental health. Mm-hmm. we need to normalize it, right? Same thing for being vulnerable. I share that I go to therapy with others and all of a sudden everybody else is saying, man, I, I think I need that too. Or mm-hmm. I've been thinking about it myself. How are you normalizing the mental health within your organization to be something that you talk about and work together on finding solutions for? Well, uh, incorporating laughter. Um when I have talked to people about um, leadership, stress, I talk about journaling. I think journaling, I, that's how I, I can do a brain dump um, and know that whatever I put in a journal, if it, it, may, it may seem negative. If I have any negativity, it's going to go in a journal, not to someone else because I don't want to plant seeds like that. Um, and for conversations to be open, you know, like you have to talk, um, we you have to be able to get things out. Um, and I'll share too that if asked, you know, how, um, what I do to make sure that I am taking care of my headspace and uh, I'll be open about that. What I, I don't impose, I don't bring that up to people though, because I don't want to put pressure on them. Like, oh, she does this. I have to do that. Like, no, but if they ask, I will be open about what I do um, and be, be an open book, but not one where it's required reading, you know, like <laughs> you must be like Anne, like, no, <laughs> we don't want that. Well, and I was literally just about to ask you something along those lines. Yeah. So, you know, when you're always available, right, always responding in a, a timely manner, always committing, always following through. I don't know about you, but that takes a lot of energy, right? Yes, it does. It's super, super worth it, right? That's, that's where 
I'm successful. My brother's the same way. He's in, in, in a field and people say, how are you so successful? He's like, I respond to people guys. Like it's just, it's that, it's that simple. Yeah. They're like, well, what else? And, and it's like, my brother's like, that's it. And the same thing with me. I respond to people. <laughs> Good news, bad news, but it takes that energy. Right. And I, I don't know for me, if I'm eating bad or whatever, and it's just, just the little things nowadays. Uh, um, anyway, about you, Ann, how do you keep the energy up? to be responsive, responsive, or, you know, to have your response time up to your team, to be available for your team, to show humility, all that. Do you, what, what are your day-to-day best practices um, to, for that headspace? And how do you keep that energy up to, to do all of that, to be you, I want to ask you. Okay, so um, I start off every day with uh, reading a devotional or some devotionals and just trying to um, getting centered with, okay, if I, I'm here for a purpose. So start the day off with a, a sense of purpose. Um, have a cup of coffee, hazelnut creamer, you know, like uh, enjoy a nice cup of coffee. Uh, then um, I organize, I always organize my time. I get my planner out. I'm an office supply, you know, office play nerd thing. I love my planner. So um, what am I gonna do? What are the priorities? for the day so that I take control of the day before it happens to me. Um, I, then I have to keep a gauge on it. Honestly, this is a, this is new that, that, you know, being a president of a company that's growing rapidly and there's a lot going on. Um, I have, my tank has gotten low and I know what replenishes it. And I've had to have those honest conversations with the CEO of, I know what I need and what I need is I, I need, um, positivity and not Pollyanna blows smoke up, you know, like that type of thing. Although I, I'm, I do appreciate Pollyanna's glad game, but, um, I don't want it to be, it doesn't, not fake, but real, real discussions about what is working because when something's working, you can build on it. You know, when something's not working, you need to modify it or remove it. But when you, when you find something that works, you build on it. So, if our discussions are predominantly about what is not working, that drains me. I, I need that. Okay, that, that, um, that positivity, genuine positivity. I also need laughter. Um, if I'm around people who are don't know how to laugh at themselves, don't know how to have a good time, I find that exhausting. I. I do. I just like, oh, what a time. Life suck, you know, like, because <laughs> oh. I, I think I'm work just... is fun, you know, like work can be fun. So I want to have fun. So when people are constantly, if they're negative a lot, they're gossipy, they, they like drama. I'm like, life gives us enough drama. I don't need to go find it. And I don't want to hear about it. So, um, Let's have some fun. Let's get some stuff done because getting things done is fun. Winning is fun. Um, being good at stuff is fun. Um, I like to have fun. And so if if I'm off balance, I will seek out people to give me back a little bit of energy because it's, I think it's about reciprocity. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't lead um, people if they are purposefully dragging their feet, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm not leading them. I'm, you know, coaxing Ooh. them. Like, yeah, like no, that, That's on them. Like, no, I, no, I'm, 
follow me if you want to. I'm going great places. But yeah. if you don't want to, then sit back there. I, yeah. But um, that, so knowing knowing enough about myself that I know what I need. I, I do need laughter. I do need fun. I do need people to bounce ideas off and be creative. That gets me going like, oh, yeah, good idea. Oh, better one. Oh, yeah. Right. Let's go. <laughs> now let's execute. Let's make your happen. And, you know, gosh, so many things in there I want to talk about, but you talk about build on um, right on something that's working. And I also think something that I do and it sounds like you do as well is uh, reverse engineer what's working right to figure out why it's working first and then how are we, how can we effectively build on onto it. But um, I'm one of those people too that needs that positivity, that laughter. Um, but that it, it caused me to reflect, and I I had to ask myself this question: When do I find myself doing my best work? And what do I find as energy draining? And what do I find that as energy adding? Um, and in most cases, it's the things that I don't even think about, right? Because it's happening so easily. Um, so I love the, your point on, on on positivity because it helps you to identify what you need and allows you to be genuine in the environment that is going to continuously change. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to kind of your morning routine where you're setting mm -hmm. your purpose. I call that intention. Mm -hmm. Setting that purpose and intention every morning. Ha mm -hmm. How have you found that to help you to know what to prioritize and where to focus your time and energy. I will, cause I write about it. So, um, you know, every day is different. So what's going on at work can be different, but then every day is also the same because if I've, every day I'm going to work as a, uh, a steward of gifts, human gifts, financial gifts, you know, like that is how I see my role. So when I start the day off like that, I can put things in perspective of what things are just, they're like a nuisance mm -hmm. that I, I need to deal with, but I don't want them to dominate my day. Because if I do, then I lose track of being a steward of talent and resources and time. And that's what I need to have my focus on. So I'll write about um, what's frustrating me what I need to get rid of, and then what can I do? Like, what am I actually in? What what I have control over? And because then if that. I have, yeah, you know, if I have control over it, then there's no excuse not to get it done. Yeah. Like, you know, like that's on me. And but it's also you like it blocking out the distractions because there's common symptoms that are going to show themselves in different ways, but you're we are more focused and cognizant of the actual disease itself first, that knowing that those symptoms are always going to change, but what is the root cause to that particular disease? But you're also here, what I'm hearing you say is that when you say I'm a steward of gifts of human, human potential, as well as financial, mm -hmm. is that you understand that there's a give and take between extrinsic motivation, but intrinsic motivation is always how you're going to get the most out of individuals. I love it. I love it. I have one last question and then I'm going to hand it over to Tyler for the last one. Um, okay. What did you fail at yesterday and what did you learn from it? What did I fail at? Yesterday was Monday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, my weeks are, my days are going together. Um, let's see. I, what did I fail at yesterday? Um, I didn't, I, I failed at getting a run in. I wanted to get a run in. I did get, I, I did walk a lot. Um, but I, the weather was good enough in the morning to get a run in. Um, and I, I wasn't, 
assertive enough to make it happen. So I kind of gave it away. And um, that that's, that's a failure on my part. I have to get better at that, that I used to be re- much better at making sure that I got my, my mileage in and that I did, a, but um, I have the, the job I have now is so um, rewarding most of the time because it's a lot of problem solving. It's a lot of engagement. I'm learning so much and I have the license to do that. That's fun for me. So I actually bought goo, you know, what runners, you know, so I bought a box of goo and I have it at my office because every day seems like a half marathon, like like make it to the finish line. And then the next day start, you know, starting line all over again. But I have, I have failed myself in keeping up my, my, uh, my athletic stamina that I'm slacking off on. I love that you restart that race every day because you're always going to find the most efficient way to get to the finish line. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Ty. And, and I was going to ask you, how, how did you find yourself comfortable with restarting every day? Like, to me, it used to seem exhausting. I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did some work yesterday, everybody. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> I just want everybody to know. <laughs> everybody know how much I did yesterday? Yeah. So how do you, and I've gotten super comfortable with like the phrase of like knowing that the process is my destination. Like I, if I'm here doing this, doing the right thing, responding to people, uh-huh. I finally got freaking comfortable with it. Besides like winning my gold medal and being like, woohoo, I'm at the top, everybody, you know? So how did you get comfortable with restarting your day is my final question, Anne. The, the being a realist, what I, what are my other choices? You know, I, I, right. It's like, I so can't, this comes naturally to you. <laughs> well, I, every, you know, every day is a, it's, you know, especially driving along 75 in Dallas, getting down to work is like, I, I, I say probably five prayers on the way there. Every time I change a lane, like, okay, God, be with me on this one. Okay. <laughs> Help me get off the side of my life. Um, but I mean, the, uh, it's an opportunity and the, I have to do it. I mean, people are watching me. I mean, that, that's like I said before about being a teacher, it's like, there's nothing more uh, inspiring or motivating knowing that people are watching you and you never know when they're going to come back and say, Hey, remember when you said, or remember what you did? And in my case, I'll be like, no, (laughs) was it helpful? Um, And the impact that we have every day and waking up and knowing that if, if I leave my house and I engage with other people, that impact is a real possibility. And then being in, being in a position where it's expected, I, I, I have to. That, that's what they're expecting of me is to show up and start all over again. Impact over that influence. Is, I mean, just your awesome. selection of, of impact is, is, is where, really where it's at. And then I heard you're just literally living the quote of Maya Angelou and what uh, Dale Carnegie made famous as well and got pretty rich off himself. But uh, it's all about how you make people feel at the end of the day and finding that common place because 
that those those similarities are the way that we can build and establish a real trusting relationship um, on on multiple levels. But uh, society has taught us to to continue to to onion ourselves and to really hide who we are at the at our core. Um, and I think that Tyler and Anne and myself, I think it's our mission to really help people pull out who they really are at the end of the day because that's the most empowering force that they need to achieve their success and help them to dream bigger sometimes. So, yeah. and I absolutely enjoyed this conversation. This is probably the best podcast that I think Tyler and I ever did. Um, oh, but, you guys. Go I'm on. not kidding. You are, I'm not kidding. Yeah, it, so you were real. You were vulnerable. We're, we're three, at, four after, and it's that seemed like 10 minutes over here, yeah. Ann. Oh, Anything we can do to help you out. Kevin knows a ton of folks as well. Um, so anyone we can introduce you to, um, that's what we're here for. We, we, like I said, Ann, we still don't know why we do this. Yeah, it was a passion <laughs> but, project. But it's, it's fun. That's great. Well, you guys do a great job because I really was nervous. I was like so nervous. Well, like, you absolutely I, dropped I, the mic. So I, I don't oh, think that, yeah, we couldn't sniff nervousness on you at all. Uh, ego. So, well, that's on you guys because the questions you asked and how you engaged. So that was well done because that, that made all the difference. Thank you.